Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Hitman Chronicles. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver, and today we are recording this right after the twin title doubleheader from Las Vegas that was just shown on ESPN. Emmanuel Navarrete defending one of his alphabet title, 130-pound titles, one of the criminal cartel organizations, titles against Rosen Conseco. I'm going to say his name. I'm going to get his name right. Rosen Conseco. 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 Rosen Conseco. And Rosen Conseco fought his ass off tonight. And then the main event, Shakur Stevenson against Edwin De Los Santos in a fight that was basically, how do you say it, uh, uh, lackluster to say the least. But we'll talk about that after we first talk about the thrilling co-feature, Emmanuel Navarrete versus Robson Conseco. 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 And Conseco started great. Robeson, I believe, won the first three rounds of my scorecard. He was landing combinations. Emmanuel Navarrete has become a one-dimensional brawler. Um, he rarely throws any jabs. He throws uppercuts, hooks, right crosses from all over the place. And Robeson was doing a phenomenal job of countering him and landing because Navarrete, Vaquero Navarrete, throws wide punches. So you have opportunities to land within those wide punches. First three rounds, easily on my scorecard against Robeson. Then in the fourth round, a beautiful combination by Navarrete as he landed one of them wild uppercuts to drop Robeson. But Robeson got back up and came back and won the fifth round of my scorecard. I gave the sixth round to Navarrete in a close round because Navarrete looked to have hurt Robeson and landed the harder punches even though Robeson landed more punches. Then in the seventh round, a beautiful right to the body dropped Robeson. But Robeson came back, and I had him win the eighth round. And so after eight rounds, I had to fight dead even 75-75. They traded the next four rounds. Ninth and 10th, they traded. The 11th round, Navarrete had Robeson out on his feet. But for some inexplicable reason, for some unexplained reason, Navarrete took the 12th round off. And he allowed a fighter who was done, who was bleeding badly out the mouth, whose eyes were closing up, whose nose was busted, to out-hustle him with no punch on Robeson's um, punch, punches, no punching power, no snap to his punches. He out-hustled Navarrete to win the 12th round and to secure a draw, not only on my scorecard, but on two of the three judges' scorecards to get a draw against Navarrete and, in my opinion, earn a rematch. Um, Tim Bradley is a fucking idiot. He's horrible. We need to get rid of Tim Bradley, but he's never going anywhere because he's Bob Arum's own personal coon, own personal Negro. Bob Arum loves Tim Bradley. 
And I think Tim Bradley has a job for life because he kisses the asses of top-ranked fighters. Throughout this fight, especially the first half of the fight, he made it sound like Robeson's punches had had no effect on Navaretti. After Navaretti knocked him down in the fourth round, and at the beginning of the fifth round, Bradley goes, oh, it's only a... This fight is all but done. It, it, it's over. The, the, the end is near. The end is near. The end is near in the fifth round. The fight went 12 rounds. What a fucking idiot. I'm sick and tired of Timothy Bradley and him and Joe Tessitore calling the cross, whether it's a left cross from a softball or a right cross from a conventional orthodox fighter, Instead of calling it what it is, what I've been telling you guys since I started doing this podcast, the difference between a hook and a cross, they make up a term. Oh, he's trying to land that backhand shot. What? What the? Where the hell they come up with that terminology? I've been watching boxing for now 48 years. If I lift into January, it'll be 48 years. I never heard anybody call a right cross or left cross a backhand shot. Let's stop with the make-believe terms, boxing terms. It's a cross. It's not a backhand shot, you blubbering idiot. I had the fight scored 113-113. I thought it was a draw. Um, I, if, you, if you guys would have had it, if Navaretti would have won by 114-112 like one of the judges had it, or could say... Cal had won by 114, 112 on, on, on two of the three judges' scorecards. I wouldn't have argued. Navarrete should have won this fight because he had the momentum going in the 12th final round, and for some reason, he took his foot off. He did a Lomachenko, what Lomachenko did against Haney in his last fight, where he stopped fighting and gave away the 12th round. And you cannot give away a 12th round whether you're the champion or the challenger in the fight. You got to go out. You got to go out on a tough fight. And you got to go out on your shield if you have to. I don't understand it. Um, Robeson is my fighter. It was the Hitman Chronicles fighter of the week because he fought the greatest performance of his career. It was his third title shot. Hopefully hopefully now that he got a draw, it won't be his last title shot. Hopefully he gets a rematch against Emmanuel Navarrete. And now we go on to the less than stellar main event. Now, ladies and gentlemen. Shakur Stevenson is not going to slug with you, okay? Shakur Stevenson is a defensive-minded fighter. He's going to make you miss all night. Um, he'll land counters if you're too over-aggressive. For Shakur to shine as an offensive fighter, he's got to fight a brawler. Like he did against Oscar Valdez, where he totally dominated Oscar Valdez because Oscar Valdez is a brawler, Okay. Robeson Kosekow gave up after the sixth round in a fight that I attended last year, last October in Newark, New Jersey. Well, actually, it was last September in October in, in Newark, New Jersey, not October. October was I was at the I was at the Barclays Center to see De, De, Deontay Wilder's first round one punch knockout of Robert Hellenius. No, it was September of last year that I was at the Prudential Center to see the uh, Shakur just dominate Kosekow. Kasekow gave it his all against Navarrete, and he deserved that draw, and he deserves the Hitman Chronicles Fighter of the Week award this week. As far as 
Edwin De Los Santos goes, he really didn't try. He tried to outbox Shakur Stevenson. You cannot outbox Shakur Stevenson. You got to get up on him. You got to pressure him. You got to go to the body. I gave De Los Santos rounds four and five, and that was it. I had Shakur sweep the next seven rounds to win 118, 110 on my scorecard. One judge gave De Los Santos five rounds. I don't know where you could find five rounds to give De Los Santos. It was damn, diff damn near difficult to give him two rounds because De Los Santos did not try. Shakur did just enough to dominate. Shakur, he mailed it in, and I'm very disappointed that he didn't fight Frank Martin tonight. Because Frank Martin on his A game, in my opinion, would have beaten Shakur tonight. Now, Shakur Stevens is my second favorite fighter in the world. My, my, my four favorite fighters are Naomi Noe 1, Shakur 2, Boots Ennis 3, and Frank Martin 4. So it would have been my number two versus my number four, but Frank Martin pulled out. Um, he didn't like the terms of the contract. I hope that Shakur's first defense of now his uh, criminal cartel WBC lightweight title will be against Frank Martin. More about Frank Martin later on because for some inexplicable reason, he was dropped six spots in the WBC, WBC rankings. I'll talk more about that in the final segment of the podcast. But Frank Martin, had he fought Shakur, tonight, Shakur Stevenson tonight, could have easily have won this fight because Frank Martin throws combinations. Frank Martin goes to the body. Frank Martin would have gave it 100%. Frank Martin wouldn't be watching Shakur Stevenson. And on the other hand, Shakur would have had to step up his game because he would have been fighting a fighter on his level. Edwin De Los Santos is not on Shakur's level. And De Los Santos only got this title shot because A, Devin Haney couldn't come to an agreement with Shakur Stevenson, so he moved up to 140 to fight Regis Progress. And ladies and gentlemen, Devin Haney's never fighting at 135 again. If Haney and Shakur ever fight, it'll be at 140 or 147. Then Lomachenko was next offered the fight against Shakur Stevenson for the vacant title. And, she, and Lomachenko was like, oh, I, I got to go help the Ukraine. I got to help my country in their war against Russia. And now he signs to fight Cambosis. To be honest with you, Lomachenko didn't want to fight Shakur. I don't know why, because I think if Lomachenko would have gave the same effort he gave against Haney, he would have had an opportunity to beat Shakur. Now, I'm not saying he would have, but he would have had a, a, a chance. And then, of course, Isaac Cruz not, doesn't want to fight Shakur, because Isaac Cruz has a type of style where he would get obliterated by Shakur Stevenson. Isaac Cruz is still waiting to hope, to hope that waiting on a possible rematch with Tank Davis, a fight that nobody fucking wants to see, because Isaac Cruz is a one-dimensional brawler. I mean, get that motherfucker the fuck out of here. So, the next in line for a shot was Edwin De Los Santos. Um, kudos to, for, to De Los Santos for taking the fight, but he had no shot in hell. You guys on Twitter were actually thinking he had a puncher's chance? No, he had no shot. And Shakur mailed it in tonight, and he still only won two rounds on my scorecard. De Los, De Los Santos is not on the same level. Shakur needs to fight fighters on his level. A William Cepeda. A Frank Martin. That should be his first defense. And hopefully, if Haney beats Prograce in a few weeks, Haney fights Tank next year, maybe the winner of that fight fights Shakur Stevenson. We will see. Uh, overall, it was an abysmal fight. Um... Shakur's a defensive-minded fighter, and ladies and gentlemen, you got to realize that that's going to be him the rest of the career. He's not going to take chances unless you make him take chances. 
You're not going to outbox Shakur Stevenson. You got to make it a dogfight. And when you make it a dogfight, you bring the best out in Shakur Stevenson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, now on to our Q&A session. Now, we begin the Ask Rob Silver portion of the podcast. I have several questions. Probably won't be able to get to every question today. Whatever doesn't get answered today, ladies and gentlemen, the questions you sent in, I will tackle them next week. I haven't done one of these uh, boxing recap shows in three weeks, and so we've got a ton of questions. And without further ado, let's get to the questions here on the Hitman Chronicles, the Ask Rob Silver portion. First and foremost, my buddy, No Love Lost 76, wonderful young woman, tremendous mom, and a frequent contributor to my Legends of Sports and Music podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, for those who haven't listened, I have a podcast that focuses on legendary athletes and legendary musicians on the same platform you're listening to this podcast. It's called The Legends of Sports and Music, available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Well, I recently did an episode on Thanksgiving Memories. It's available on that platform, and this young lady, No Love Loss 76, gave me a beautiful memory of her Thanksgiving when her first child was born. So I want you uh, guys, when you get a chance, to check out that podcast. Four-hour podcast dedicated to Thanksgiving memories. Over 20 contributors contributed their Thanksgiving memories. Okay, her question is, will Shakur Stevenson and Gervonta Davis ever fight? Ladies and gentlemen, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. But I don't see it happening in 2024. Maybe 2025 it occurs. I think eventually in 2024, Javante Davis and Devin Haney fight. Now, Devin has to beat Regis Prograce first. And ladies and gentlemen, despite the so-called boxing experts, boxing media, and the Javante Davis sycophants and Devin Haney sycophants on Twitter thinking that Devin Haney is going to walk through Regis Progress. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not an easy fight. I see it as a 50-50 fight. And in two weeks, I'll be doing a uh, Devin Haney versus Regis Progress fight preview podcast. And I will be treating it the same way I did with my Spence Crawford preview and my Canelo Charlo preview. I will have predictions from several listeners on what they think the fight, on what they think the fight's outcome is going to be. I will do my own breakdown, historical breakdown of both progresses and Haney's career. I will do a fight, a fight watch along of one of each of their greatest performances in which I give you the link on YouTube and you guys listen to me recreate the play-by-play of a Haney fight and a Progress fight and then I will end the podcast with my prediction. Now, I was wrong on Canelo versus Charlo and I was wrong on Spence versus Crawford. I could be wrong on Haney versus Progress, but right now I haven't decided 
who's going to win that fight. I think it's a very tough fight to predict. You guys out there, I mean, you guys out there think it's a done deal for Haney. We will see. It's not 50-50. The same guys that thought it was a done deal for Spence. But it's a different fight. And I've been wrong. I picked Spence. I was wrong. I picked Jamel Charlo. I was wrong. So, <laughs> whoever I pick in the pro Grace versus Haney fight, you guys will probably think, oh, well, you know, whoever OG Rob Silver picks, we'll just go with the guy he bet against. Well, I don't bet. That I picked against, because I don't bet. I leave that alone, right? Do not listen to my predictions as a way of, of securing a bet, thinking, oh, well, you know, he's very knowledgeable because anything could happen in boxing, as we've seen over and over again. But uh, back to your question, I think if this fight happens, and I think it will, but I, it won't happen next year, because I think uh, Haney... And Tank will be fighting next year. And if Haney, if for some reason Haney and Tank doesn't happen, I think Tank will fight Frank Martin beforehand. And I'm going to talk more about Frank Martin in the uh, next segment when I talk about the hideous actions of both the IBF and the WBC in the last week. There will not be a historical portion of the podcast this week. I'll save the historical overview, my newest series on Hitman Chronicles, uh, the greatest fights in boxing history, the 20 greatest fights in boxing history. We're going to delay that for a week because the next segment will deal with the incredulous actions of the criminal cartels. And we'll focus on two of them this week in the IBF and the WBC. Thank you for your question. The fight will occur. It's too big of a fight not to occur. And um, I think it will be easier to make now that PBC doesn't have a network home. So we'll see. Okay, next question is a two-part question from um, two of my favorite followers on Twitter. Love two of my mutuals on Twitter. Skis and um, Half Pint. Let me go with Half Pint's first question. Where is it? Where is it? Where's my man Half Pint at? Come on, Half Pint. I got to get you on that question. Uh, Half Pint, where you at, big man? Where's your question? Okay. Do I have a favorite Daniel Day-Lewis performance? And... That's the first question. And Skis asks, where do I rank Daniel Day-Lewis all time? First and foremost, half pint. Daniel Day-Lewis, I've got as his greatest performance is Last of the Mohicans. And I think you uh, would agree with that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not seen Last of the Mohicans, that's a five-star classic movie and Daniel Day-Lewis bodied that role. He was phenomenal in that role. If you've never seen that movie, pause the podcast. Pause the podcast. Go watch it. I highly recommend it. Uh, I believe Daniel Day-Lewis has retired from acting. Um, Right now, 
Like he's only 11 years older than me. He's 66 years old right now. Um, we let's we you want to talk about the incredible uh, career he's had. He's 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 won three Oscars. He's won three Oscars. That's ridiculous. All right, that's ridiculous. Three Oscar wins. For my left foot, there will be blood and Lincoln. Um, he was phenomenal in gangs in New York. He was phenomenal in the name of the father. He was phenomenal in Phantom Threat. Um, I don't. I, I try to remember what his last movie was. Um, but even though <coughs> there's a boxing podcast, The Boxer, a great movie. That I would highly recommend that. Matter of fact, it's between Last of the Mohicans and the Boxer for what I consider his greatest roles. Um, I'm not a big fan of My Left Foot. It's a great movie, but I'm not a huge fan of it. But I cannot deny Daniel Day-Lewis was not phenomenal in that movie. Now, uh, where do I rank Daniel Day-Lewis? The question that skis ask amongst the greatest actors of all time. My Mount Rushmore of actors are Pacino, Denzel, De Niro, and what's my man's name that dies all the time? Um, shit. Mr. Titanic. The fuck's his name? The Titanic dude. Lord have mercy. What's the dude's name? Ah. Uh, I'm going to have to look his name up because I keep forgetting the dude. He dies in damn every, damn near every movie, but he's an incredible uh, actor. Man, I keep forgetting his name. What the hell's his name? Leo. Leo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. is. Um, it's funny how I, I forgot his name and he's on my Mount Rushmore. Um, Pacino, De Niro... Denzel DiCaprio. <clears throat> I got Marlon Brando as my fifth greatest actor of all time. Skis, half pint. You could put Daniel Day-Lewis anywhere from six to ten. He's right up there with the great Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's right up there with the great Gene Hackman. He's right up there with the great Christopher Walken. In my opinion, anywhere from six to ten... You could slot Daniel Day-Lewis along with Christopher Walken, Philip Seymour Hoffman. You got Daniel Day-Lewis, Christopher Walken, Philip Seymour Hoffman in that 6 through 10. Forrest Whitaker, these guys have all been great. Don Cheadle, Giancarlo Esposito, Jeffrey Wright. I won't argue for any of those guys. Those guys are all, in my opinion, on that same second-tier great actor. Now, if you want to put Daniel Day-Lewis in your top five above Leo and Brando, I'm not going to argue with you. Philip Seymour Hoffman, those guys are in the conversation. What I will argue with you is my holy trinity of, of Pacino, Denzel, and De Niro, I'm, I'm not budging from that. But anywhere from four to ten... You want to slot Daniel? Daniel Day-Lewis had a phenomenal career, right? 
Phenomenal career, just like Gene Hackman. Those guys, Gene Hackman, DiCaprio, Christopher Walken, they're great in everything they do. I could watch those guys act in anything all day, all night. So a great question by both skis and Half Pint. Daniel Day-Lewis is that dude, and he's one of the greatest of the greats. All right. Rob Hill, Sugar Hill Gang Ask. Any way we can expand the podcast to actors and actresses? So much more material and stories to tell about our favorites. I think it could be a huge hit. I had a topic on Black Ice. All our experiences with it, good and bad. And Black Ice is a motherfucker. We're coming, we're coming to that point of the year where it's going to become prevalent because winter is upon us. Um, My ex-girlfriend, Vonette, the one I was with over for over eight years, my longest relationship, uh, she hurt her leg coming out of a car a few years ago, slipping on black ice. I, this was when we first broke up the first time, early 2018, because she texted me, text me and says, I'm back in the hospital. She's had a few car accidents, about three. Um, one... She injured her neck and she was out of work for four months. This was right after her and I broke up in 2016. It wasn't 2018. It was January 2017. She texted me, said, I fell on black ice and I had to be hospitalized for a couple of days. So black ice is no joke. No joke. Um, as far as expanding the podcast to actors and actresses, he's also referring to my legends of sports and music. I could definitely do episodes from time to time on great performances by an actor um, and definitely talking about the guys I mentioned. And, and, you know, I also got to throw Will Smith and Jamie Foxx in the discussion for after my top five. They've had incredible careers, both Oscar winners, both multiple Oscar nominee actors. So uh, I could definitely... Do that from time to time, Rob. A, a, a podcast where I do a uh, historical overview of their careers. Uh, and Daniel Day-Lewis definitely would be in consideration, as would Leo DiCaprio and the guys I mentioned that on my holy trinity of Pacino, De Niro, and Denzel. All right. It's crazy, right? We need a movie with... Denzel and, and and De Niro or Denzel and Pacino. We need a movie with those heavyweights together. We've had a few with De Niro and Pacino. Okay, and that takes care of those questions. All right. Jesus Salas asks, the state of boxing in 2023, where are the much, much, much younger promoters? And he's talking about how Bob Arum, who's 91, and Don King, who are 92, are still promoting today. Right now, Bob Arum, because of the controversy that the PBC sees, him, sees themselves in, and Bob Arum last week signed a whole bunch of fighters to top rank and uh, has a lot of influence over the criminal cartel WBC's rankings. Bob Arum right now looks to be the num still the number one promoter in boxing at the archaic age of 91. I hate to admit to that shit because I can't stand that fucking old bastard. But uh, 
We just had a ESPN car promoted with Shakur Stevenson on it that was promoted by Top Rank slash Bob Arum. Where are the younger promoters, Jesus? Well, Eddie Hearn's not that old. Eddie Hearn inherited um, his father, uh, pro father's promotion. Um, Oscar De La Hoya is not that old. Oscar's younger than me. I'm 55. So there are some younger promoters, Jesus, out there doing their thing. Right, Floyd Mayweather, much younger than me, has Mayweather promotions, and look for Mayweather promotions to be a bigger deal. Now that PBC is looking for a a home, a a a network home, they don't have a deal right now. Don't be shocked. I wouldn't be surprised if Mayweather promotions lands a big deal before a PBC. We'll see, we'll see, because Mayweather is also in bed with Al Heyman. So we'll see. But there are young promoters out there, Jesus, and eventually Bob Arum has to kick the bucket. Don King is, Don King barely promotes anymore. And when he does promote, it's trash. He's got an Adrian Broner fight coming up soon. It's going to be trash. All right. On to the next question. Jesus has, oh, before Jesus, LL School K asks, what's your thought on bare knuckle boxing? It's barbaric, it's bullshit, should be outlawed. I don't recognize that barbaric uh, sport. Fuck bare knuckle boxing. I think about bare knuckle boxing the same way I think of that criminal puff daddy Sean Combs. Fuck bare knuckle boxing. All right. Question, another question from Jesus. Your memories of Greyhound. Um, Walter Davis died two weeks ago today. Uh, one of the greatest basketball players ever to come out of North Carolina. I believe he's the uncle of the coach of North Carolina, Hubert Davis. Walter Davis was a great scorer, Jesus. When I first started watching basketball in 1977, he was drafted and was the rookie of the year in the 77-78 season for the Phoenix Suns. But Jesus, I didn't think he deserved to win that award. I think Bernard King should have been rookie of the year because Bernard King had a better rookie year, in my opinion, than Walter Davis, 77-78 season. But, you know, Walter got it. But I think it's, the award should have went to Bernard King. And I think Bernard had a greater NBA career than Walter Davis. But Walter Davis was no slouch. Walter Davis was a tremendous basketball player, both in college. And I didn't see him play in college because I started watching basketball. I started watching basketball when he was a rookie in the NBA. So, but from all intents and purposes, he was a tremendous ball player. And the bulk of his great career was with the Phoenix Suns. Six-time All-Star. Rookie of the Year. His number's retired by the Phoenix Suns. And um, he should be in the Hall of Fame. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but he should be in the Hall of Fame because almost 20,000 points. He's got around 19,000 points. He's a 19 uh, points per game scorer, and you got to take into account that he played a few years past his prime. He's got a gold medal, a Huge member of the 1976 uh, Olympic team that won the gold. He was a rookie of the year. 
six-time All-Star. And um, I believe his number was retired by the Phoenix Suns. And he was an incredible, incredible college basketball player. And high school star in North Carolina. He belongs in the Hall of Fame because the Basketball Hall of Fame looks at your entire basketball career, not just the pros. High school, college, pros. He was a legendary high school player in North Carolina. One of the greatest players ever and one of the greatest college teams of all time in North Carolina under uh, Dean Smith. Gold medal winner. And one of the biggest stars on that gold medal team in 1976. And was a great NBA player with the Phoenix Suns. Almost, He almost scored 20,000 points. And his resume is greater than several players in the Hall of Fame. Including Tracy McGrady. Right? Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Alright. Let me see if I... If there are any other questions, because god damn, this segment's going off over 20 minutes. Alright, Toot the Barber, my buddy goes. When are we getting a Delphonics or Stylistics pods uh podcast on my Legends of Sports and Music? Uh we definitely gonna do an episode, but I think I'm gonna do the spinners first. And ladies and gentlemen, for those who don't know, he's talking about my Legends of Sports and Music uh music podcast. In which, and I'll quickly uh give you a review of what I do on the Legends of Sports and Music. With athletes, I talk about their entire career. I play highlights of some of the greatest perform uh, things they did on the, on the field, uh, audio highlights, and I talk extensively about their career. My music podcast on the Legends of Sports and Music, I will play 10 to 12 songs of an artist's career, and I will talk about their career in relation to my personal life. For example, when I was a kid, when I was listening to what was going on in my life, what was going on in New York City and the United States during that, during that time span, and I've got musical tributes, six so far on Michael Jackson, there's going to be two more, two on Mariah Carey, I've done three on Mary J. Blige, I've done two on Donnie Hathaway, I've done two on, um, I've done three on Marvin Gaye, you name it, I've done it on the Legends of Sports and Music, 139 episodes covering legendary athletes such as Patrick Ewing, two on Steph Curry, one on LeBron James, two on Allen Iverson. I've done a phenomenal one on Barry Sanders, Lawrence Taylor, Roberto Clemente, Frank Thomas. The list is endless. I've done several on athletes and musicians. You guys can check it out. And toot, eventually I will do one on the Delphonics and the Stylistics. But first I'm going to do one on the Spinners and probably the Manhattans before I get to Delphonics or the Stylistics. Okay, I got questions from Malik Brown, another one from Jesus Salas that I will get to next week because already this one has gone very long, this segment, because the next segment I will deal with the chicanery of the IBF and the WBC. All right, now, before I get into my diatribe, Concerning the IBF and the WBC's recent shenanigans. 
in the history of shenanigans. I want to point out a fucking clown on Twitter. A so-called media, boxing media guy who's fucking pathetic, who's fucking clueless. All right, first and foremost, he he will report news that he gets from other people. He doesn't have any fucking sources. What this clown does is he waits until another reporter or a Twitter or a boxing fan on Twitter reports something. He checks it out and then he goes, well, according to such and such, this is what happened. He has no fucking inside information to anything. And as far as historical knowledge, it's fucking pathetic. A few months ago... He posted on Twitter, and I'm talking about this clown-ass Michael Benson. Fuck that dude. But let me blast this motherfucker for a minute. A few months ago, he was like, he touted how Devin Haney has accomplished so much. Undisputed champion. Uh, um, un- unprecedented that by the age of 24, he's an un- undisputed lightweight champion and could be a junior welterweight championship champion when and if he beats Regis Progress. Progress by the age of 24, ladies and gentlemen, this is coming out on Devin Haney's 25th birthday. So, if and when he beats Regis Progress, if and when he does beat Regis, if he beats Regis Progress on December 9th, he'll be 25 years old. And ladies and gentlemen, what Devin Haney has done by the age of 24 now 25 as you hear this you'll be 25 years old because i'm recording this after midnight on november 17th so officially he's 25 in the history of boxing is nowhere as incredible as several fighters that have done so much more than devin haney by the age of 24 slash 25 and what upsets me ladies and gentlemen is clowns like michael benson post this and then young boxing fans thinking that this guy is a boxing historian is knowledgeable they run with that one guy claimed recently that Devin Haney is the youngest undisputed champion of all time no that is untrue off the top of my head Stanley Ketchell Mike Tyson and uh Floyd Patterson we're all 21 when they became undisputed champions. Oh, and my bad. There have been four that I remember that were 21 years old when they became undisputed champions. Mike Tyson and Floyd Patterson in the heavyweight division. John Henry Lewis in the light heavyweight division. And Stanley Ketchell in the middleweight division. All 21 when they became undisputed champion. All have accomplished more by the age of 24 slash 25 than Devin Haney has. Devin Haney beat Lomachenko, the only Hall of Fame guy on his resume so far. Okay? Those four guys were undisputed champions in an era where they fought several times a year. Over 10 times a year. Except for Ali. Ali was 22. When he became undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Devin Haney was 23 when he became undisputed lightweight champion of the world. Let me give you other fighters that have had greater careers before the age of 24 slash 25 than Devin Haney. Thomas Hearns at the age of 20 knocked out Pepino Cuevas, a Hall of Fame fighter. Okay. Gave Sugar Ray Leonard hell 
and beat Wilfred Benitez and Roberto Duran by the age of 24-25. Okay. Wilfred Benitez, by the age of 23, was already a three-division champion and beating Hall of Famers in each each division. Junior welterweight, he beat Antonio Kid Pombalé Cervantes. At welterweight, he beat Carlos Palomino. Well, he didn't beat a junior middleweight Hall of Famer in Maurice Hope. So, so let me to be junior middleweight champion. But he did defeat Roberto Duran in an outstanding display of boxing and defensive mastery. All by the age of 23. Right. I can go on all day. Salvador Sanchez died at the age of 23, having already defeated three Hall of Famers and Possibly the greatest Puerto Rican fighter of all time in Roberto Gomez and the greatest African fighter of all time in Azuma Nelson. All before the age of 23, still the greatest featherweight and Mexican fighter I've ever seen. What Devin Haney has done by the age of now 25 is not special. Maybe for today, because people don't fight as young or as often as they used to, it's a great accomplishment. But in the history of boxing, it's not a pimple on the ass of the, great, the greatest of the greats. Michael Benson's a fucking idiot. And then every day he posts his bullshit. Uh, who, who do you consider uh, uh, the same type of fighter as Floyd Mayweather today? Uh, who do you consider a Mike Tyson? Man, shut the fuck up. And one thing I can't stand about so-called media, media pundits, so-called media boxing experts like Mike, uh, Michael Benson and Mike Coppinger is that they do not call out the sanctioning bodies and they cater to and they glorify the circus acts that happened with recently Fury versus Ngannou and of course the Paul brothers and their YouTube circus clown shows get that shit the fuck out of here I just wanted to address that now speaking of uh, clown shows let me get to the WBC and that clown uh, Mauricio Suleiman who inherited that criminal cartel organization from his father, Jose Suleiman, another crook. Historically, the WBC, since its inception, it's been around 60 years now, ladies and gentlemen, since 1963. Criminal act after criminal act. When they were first formed, they went ahead and they stripped most of the undisputed champions and went and had the, the titles vacated, okay? Carlos Ortiz and Cam Buchanan were undisputed lightweight champions. They were stripped. WBC had their own champion. It wasn't until 1977 when those titles were unified. Okay. Uh, before I go into what happened with recently with the WBC and their ridiculous ratings that came out yesterday, and I'm going to talk about three instances, all right, that happened when the ratings came out yesterday. I want to talk about some of the nonsense they've done, right? As a matter of fact, I'm just going to mention one. In 1983, Bobby Chacon was the WBC 130-pound champion. He was defending his title against the number one contender, Cornelius Bose Edwards, and the WBC stripped Bobby Chacon for fighting the number one contender because Don King had Jose Suleiman in his pocket. And said, oh, I have a contract for him to fight Hector Camacho. 
There was no contract to fight Hector Camacho. The w, uh, Don King wanted Camacho to fight for the WBC title. So, Jose Suleiman had told Bobby Chacon he had to fight Hector Camacho. Chacon went ahead and fought the number one contender, Cornelius Bulls Edwards, and for fighting the number one contender, he got stripped. On and on with the bullshit. The, bull, the WBC has been corrupt since day one, and... Let's talk about the recent criminal action by the WBC. Let's start with the heavyweight division. They got Francis Ngannou, a UFC fighter. Now he's a great UFC fighter. He's great at what he does. And I refused to watch the fight. I heard he knocked down Tyson Fury, and I heard it was a questionable decision. All right. Fury won the fight. Right? A fight that I call a glorified exhibition. So off of a glorified exhibition in which Angano lost a decision and he's had one pro fight, the WBC, with Mauricio Suleiman's blessing, has him ranked number 10 in the heavyweight division. Are you fucking kidding me? How do you guys continue to take this organization, these organizations seriously? These organizations are all Paid for by the promoters, right? Bob Arum has Mauricio Suleiman in his pocket, just like Don King had Mauricio's father, Jose, in his pocket. Let's look at the top 10 contenders. They got Ngannou at number 10. Why? I don't know. Now, I can't argue with the top two. Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua should be one, two in every division. They've got Mahmoudov, number three, Frank Sanchez, number four, Effie Ajagba, number five. I can't argue with that. Big Baby Anderson, number six. Uh, Big Baby Anderson recently arrested, so I don't know uh, how long he's going to be in the top ten. But Big Baby Anderson has had one significant win, and he's ranked number six in the WBC. Why? Because Bob Arum is his promoter. Number seven, Martin Bacoli, who's never beaten anybody at the Congo. Joseph Parker, number eight, even though Joseph Parker has really recently beaten nobody of substance. And there was another clown-ass reporter on in the media who said, oh, that's, this, the, the best opponent Deontay Wilder's ever fought is Joseph Parker. No, it's not. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? He fought Tyson Fury three times, and he fought Andy Ruiz twice. What are you talking about? Joseph Parker is not Deontay Wilder's best opponent. Otto Valine, number nine, and I don't argue with that. Otto Valine's a solid, good fighter. They got Ongano, number 10. Are you fucking kidding me? And that's the state of the heavyweight division where you got a, a novice, a guy who just woke up and won in the box 15 minutes ago, number 10 in your division. That's with Bob Adams' blessing and Mauricio Suleiman. Looking at more money for the WBC. Get the fuck out of here. Now, let's go to their lightweight rankings. All right? Let's go to the lightweight rankings. Okay? Last month, Shakur Stevenson was ranked number one in the WBC, and Frank Martin was ranked number two in the WBC. Something happened. There was an agreement for Martin and Shakur to fight for the title vacated by Devin Haney. Right? And... I just talked about what happened early in the podcast between Shakur Stevenson and Edwin De La Santos. That fight that I began the podcast with, it was supposed to be 
as you boxing fans know, Shakur versus Frank Martin. Frank Martin pulled out. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I know there was some type of agreement, disagreement, after an agreement was made over the money. I don't know. Um, I was disappointed. Vasily Lomachenko was given that opportunity to fight Shakur Stevenson. And Vasily went on and said, no, no, I got to go help the Ukraine fight. Huh? And now Lomachenko signed to fight George Cambosos next year. He could have fought Shakur tonight for a title. No. Oh, I got to go help support my country. And then he's going to fight Cambosos in a few months. How do the WBC reward Lomachenko, who's lost two of his last four fights? All right. Um, Frank Martin has not lost. Frank Martin was number two contender. Lomachenko is now the number two contender, despite losing his last fight against Devin Haney. Despite losing two of his last four fights, Frank Martin has dropped to number eight. And Frank Martin's undefeated. And this was Bob Arum, in my opinion, and Mauricio Suleiman punishing Frank Martin for pulling out of his fight versus Shakur Stevenson. The shit is fucking criminal. And you look at the contenders in front of Frank Martin, all right? Some of these guys are not bad. Isaac Cruz is ranked number four in the WBC. What the fuck? Isaac Cruz is a one-dimensional brawler who's not a pimple on Frank Martin's ass, right? Jermaine Ortiz is ranked above Frank Martin at number seven. I don't agree. Now, William Cepeda, in my opinion, is between Cepeda and Frank Martin. It could go either way. I won't argue if you have Cepeda ahead of Martin. I, don't want, I won't argue if you have Martin over Cepeda. In my opinion, they are equally talented. Both fighters have the potential to be special fighters. But come on. Jermaine Ortiz, are you fucking kidding me? Jermaine Ortiz, are you fucking kidding me? Right? Isaac Cruz, are you fucking kidding me? Vasily Lomachenko, are you fucking kidding me? You went from the second ranked in the WBC, Frank Martin, to number eight, all because you pulled out over money disagreement? I shake my head at this bullshit. This is bullshit. Mauricio Solomon is a criminal. And then let me talk about the IBF. Um, uh, Michael Benson mentioned on Twitter uh, earlier in the week that the IBF had stripped Terrace Croft, and Michael Benson did not give the credit that was due to the to the Twitter uh, to the to the Twitter user who broke the news, and then Michael Benson reported it like it was his own. No, get that clown the fuck out of here. The IBF stripped Errol Spence and gave its full recognition. To Boots Ennis, Jerron Boots Ennis as the IBF welterweight champion. Ladies and gentlemen, Boots Ennis right now is my third favorite fighter after Shakur, after Inouye and Shakur. I love Boots Ennis. I think Boots Ennis is special. I think he's going to continue the tradition of all time great welterweights. But this was criminal. To strip Terrence Crawford of his IBF title, if I mention Errol Spence, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm doing this off the top of my head. To strip Terrence Crawford of the IBF title because he decided and he was contractually obligated to give Errol Spence a rematch, which is only fair. It's the same thing that happened back in 1964 when Muhammad Ali was stripped 
of the WBA version of the heavyweight title because he gave Sonny Liston a title shot instead of giving Ernie Terrell a title shot. It's only fair. The WBC and the IBF and the WBA and the WBO continue month after month, year after year, to bilk the boxing fans, to rob fighters of titles they earned in the ring. There's only one welterweight champion, in my opinion, and I love boot tennis, and that's Terrence Bud Crawford. Now, I don't think Terrence Bud Crawford is ever going to fight at 147, so maybe stripping him is a mute point because I believe he's fighting Errol Spence at 154, and I don't see Terrence ever coming back down to 147. If he does ever fight Boots, then this will be at 154. But the man is contractually obligated to fight Errol Spence. You can't give him a one-fight exclusion to fight his mandatory you gave Errol Spence several exclusions. He was injured twice during that time, and you gave him a grace period. You've given Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury several grace periods. Jamal Charlo hasn't defended his title in two years, and you still recognize him as the WBC middleweight champion. That's the WBC. My bad. I'm confusing the WBC and the IBF. I'm sorry. That's the WBC. Uh, I, let me backtrack. The WBC has done that. IBF is a, is a different criminal organization. <laughs> it's all right. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I'm confusing the two criminal cartels. I, I strict that from the record. The IBF did, though, give Errol Spence a, uh, on, a, on a few occasions, leeway in not fighting the number one contender. Due to injury and due to him fighting Bud Crawford for the undisputed title. You couldn't give Bud Crawford the same leeway that you gave Errol Spence. The IBF is going to give Usek an exclusion to fight Tyson Fury. Now, are they going to strip Usyk as soon as he beats Fury? Because there will probably be a rematch after that fight. I don't know. Maybe a precedent has been set. To me, it's moronic. It's chaotic. It's abysmal. And it shows how disgusting these sanctioning bodies are. The WBC for putting Ngannou in their rankings after one pro fight, a fight that he officially lost. They were going to rank Jake Paul if he had beaten Tommy Fury. Mauricio Suleiman came out and said, I'm going to rank him if he beats Tommy Fury. Right? The WBC allowed Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury for years not to fight. They're mandatory. Jamal Charlo has been a champion for two years, hasn't defended that title. They won't strip him. And now the IBF strips Terrence Crawford. And all Terrence Crawford do, did was beat their champion back on July 29th. Let's... August, September, October, less than four months later, they stripped their new champion. I remember as a kid, you were given a, a one year to fight your mandatory challenger. He wasn't even given six months. This is despicable. This is disgusting. And I am sick and tired 
of the boxing media not bringing this up, not chastising these organizations, the networks and the promoters. I understand why the promoters do it. They're paying for these. They're paying for these rankings. They, 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 they love it. The multiple champions each division has, each sanctioning body has. The WBA for years had three world champions, a interim, a super, and a regular. And the boxing media just let that shit slide. They just let that shit slide. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of it, and I'm sick and tired. And they come up with this bullshit four-belt era. Oh, these are the four-belt undisputed champions, and they're trying to wipe out history, trying to claim that Zab Judah was an undisputed champion because he wasn't a WBO champion when he beat uh, uh, Corey Spinks, when he's the recognized undisputed champion because in 2004, 2005, 2006, the WBO was considered a joke, right? The, the four-belt era is a lie. It's just another thing the media and the networks came up with. It's bullshit. Lennox Lewis was an undisputed champion. He wasn't the WBO champion. Evander Holyfield and Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson were undisputed champions. The WBO existed. No one gave a fuck about the WBO back then. Let's stop with the nonsense. Let's stop with these mythical... Oh, four-belt era shit. Let's stop with the sanctioning bodies doing whatever they want, justifying whatever they want, and the media gives them a free pass. I will never give these criminal cartels a free pass. It's time for the boxing fans, especially the young boxing fans. Because old guys like me are going to die eventually. It's the young boxing fans that are going to continue to watch the sport to disregard the WBA, WBC, IBF, and WBO. Get that shit the hell out of here. All right? Let's stop with the nonsense. Let's just decide who the best is the best. And at one point in time, I said to go with the Ring Magazine, but the Ring Magazine has their own agenda. I can't even count on their bullshit because they got Lomachenko as the 10th best fighter in their pound-for-pound rankings, and Lomachenko hasn't beaten a great fighter in years. Let's stop with the nonsense. Let's stop with the pandering. Let's stop with the shenanigans. With the boxing media, the promoters, and the so-called sanctioning bodies. Right. Let's stop with the nonsense. If all the fighters united together and stop paying these sanctioning fees, these guys could go out of business. But that's not going to happen because they want to say that they were a four-division champion like Adrian Broner, even though they never beat a great fighter in any of those four divisions, and you had multiple champions in each division. Man, get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. Henry Armstrong was a three-division champion at the same time. He was the featherweight, lightweight, and welterweight champion at the same time. 126, 135, and 147. Okay? He didn't, there weren't multiple championships in each division. He beat the undisputed champion in all three divisions and was, the, was defending all three championships at the same time. Get your bullshit narratives the fuck out of here. All right, one last thing. We, next week we will do a recap show of David Benavidez versus Demetrius Andrade. Here's my prediction. 
Demetrius Andrade has Hall of Fame ability. Um, but complacency, in my opinion, is going to cause him to lose this fight to David Benavides. If you want to tell me overall talent, overall boxer, at one point Andrade was head and shoulders above Benavides. I think it's much closer now because Andrade has spent the last five, six years fighting bum after bum after bum after bum. He's fighting a hungry young fighter in David Benavidez this Saturday night. I've got Benavidez winning either by late KO or by a solid, a close but solid decision where there will be no doubt that he won the fight. That's my prediction. We will see what happens. I've been wrong lately, so we'll see what happens. It's my first prediction in a long time. Let's hope I end the, the big fight losing streak. That fight's on pay-per-view. I'll be stealing that content watching it on my fire stick uh, next Saturday night, and I will uh, come back as soon as that fight's over with the recap. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope my uh, rantings this week didn't upset you to the point where you stopped listening. I speak from the heart as a boxing fan of 47 years, soon to be 48 years when the calendar turns in January. Until next week, when we talk Benavidez versus Andrade, we do more questions and answers on the Ask Rob Silver Q&A session, and I finally do my historical overview of the incredible June 9th, 1978 fight between Ken Norton and Larry Holmes. I want everybody out there to have a very beautiful, happy Thanksgiving, and always be blessed and be a blessing.